This week's Probably Science is brought to you by Wondrium, a special online place where you can learn virtually anything you want. Uh, you get a free month trial of unlimited access at wondrium.com slash probably. That's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash probably. Probably Science. everybody. Welcome to Probably Science. I'm Andy Wood. Pause I'm for other people. <laughs> we, still, we still suck at this. Uh, all right. We, we did the same thing in the last episode. we okay. got to figure this out. You're right. No, Should I just no. take it again? No, don't take it again. No, because we don't have enough material, so we need to keep this in. But, I, I mean, maybe in the edit, just reduce the gap a little bit from the... from the Cut it down from the fi- awkward five to six minutes of silence just down to a few seconds yeah yeah it it, it reminds me of since we can't see each other it reminds me of the game the mind have you guys played that no i'm jesse case also okay thank you um yes what's the mind what is that is that the one where you have to just count up yeah it's all you have to do it's uh, the cards are just numbered one through 100 but you can't talk or communicate in any way with other players and uh, you can't see what cards everyone else has and you just have to play the cards in order and it's just based on reading these silences and guessing how many numbers might have sort of passed in that silence it's a really oh. fun game. I played it on um, my friend James Cook, who's a British comic, has a uh, a web show, streaming show called, I think it's called board, board Game Smackdown. That's what it's called. I did an episode of it where he makes you play a couple of board games with other comics over some version of Zoom. And obviously he's worked out different ways to play these games if you're in different places. So we played a version of that game. Just to make it clear as well, we should we should also say not all of the you don't have all of the numbers it's not just like everyone right right you're dealt so yeah you you basically get handed a certain number of cards each out of the one to a hundred okay and and you have to basically work out whether you have the next the next highest card or the next lowest card rather as you're counting up so like someone might say start have three and they're waiting to see if anyone kind of has one or two and then they wait long enough to kind of go i don't think anyone has one or two so i'm going to jump in with three quickly and then you might have 15 so you're like okay does anyone else in the circle have between one and like have between three and 15 uh and if not i have to jump in so you're kind of like eyeing each other up just trying to see from each other's eye line and the amount that they're pausing whether they're pausing an appropriate amount of time to signal 15 but then you yeah. add in the add in the video conference lag. It's got to be really hard. In, in person, it's hard. But yeah, um, but it's a fun know, game. I, I, I like a. Is it called cooperative games? Is that what they're called? Where um, you where you're not competing. A a, you're you're yeah. working with the other people that you're playing with, rather than trying to beat them. When when a uh, when a police officer in Tennessee suspects that you're drunk, uh, something that they do. Um, you know, don't mean to. I'll just hop out and say this has happened to me. Right? Is uh, <laughs> what what they do? The first thing they do is you have to close your eyes and lean your head back like you're like you're looking at the sky, but with your eyes closed, and you have to tell them when one minute has passed without what? Counting. Oh, and it's it's like, but you're like nervous, you know, and they're talking. It's it's fucking really hard, like. You know- like for anyone it's really a, hard a good trick for that uh this song just happens to be almost exactly 60 beats per minute um king of pain by the police so if you just think <laughs> mm, mm, 
Mm-hmm. Well, so that's a good context mm-hmm. clue. Is police, police. Mm-hmm. You just go from mm-hmm. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That that's probably how they got their name. That's probably is <laughs> they, they they had this game and they're like, we need a name for our group. <laughs> We need a name for this organization. I'm not talking about the band. I'm talking about the the, the like police. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, con- yeah. the concept of of the authorities got its name yeah. from the band, the police. So, um, uh, Matt, hey, what, hey, what, what hey, you? Person I pulled over. What's that? What's that song you're humming? And who's it by? <laughs> Why? This gives me. I think I'll have to tell the chief of whatever it is we are about this. Um, Matt, why don't you introduce the guest? Oh no. We we don't have a guest this week because we we uh, we just don't have a guest. We, well, we, we don't have a guest. What? Well, well, because I was traveling and Addy was traveling and we we had to record an episode. And I and I don't have friends, guys. Yeah, so between um, us, why don't we say right? Because it's the it's the twenty fourth. Why don't we say it's a it's a spooky episode? <laughs> it's a haunted episode. We have a, yeah. We, we don't we don't have a guest this week. We have a or ghost. Do we? Right. Well, yeah. Maybe we do. You know. <laughs> Maybe we do. I don't know. We've put out a fourth place setting. We don't know who may join us. (laughs) Isn't it? It's basically there. Basically, there is no ghost. Murder. Uh, It's weird. I should have said guest. I should have said guest. There is no guest. uh, Horror. It's it's like it's funny to me that like horror. uh, Lots of murder. Sorry. Did anyone hear anything there? Did anyone? (laughs) Horror voices for adults are like scary, but then whenever you watch like horror made for children, it's like weirdly horny, you know? Like uh, <laughs> example, example. Uh, well, like the voice you did, where you're like, "We've set down an extra place setting." It's like, it's like a couple looking for a third is like the little kid monster voice, you know? <laughs> like I don't know, Scooby, did I? Um, it's very like cheeky, sort of scary, you know? Um, uh, Monster Mash is a great example. Right, exactly. You know, and Vince, Vincent Price, yeah, sort of silly and campy, but always yeah. the go-to spooky person. The one yeah. thing we know about Vincent Price is he was always trying to score a threesome. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely, um, absolutely. Matt, how was your how was your trip, buddy? It was fun. Alameda was fun. The the new club is an, is an enjoyable club. They you know they built it during COVID lockdown and they've they've done it right. And a bunch of Probably science listeners were in the audience. Hell every yeah. show I mentioned the show, I mentioned our show, and every show there were multiple people, like m- more than one group of people who'd attended the show, who were listeners to the show. So thank you very much, all of you. I didn't get to speak to all of you uh, afterwards, so it, it was really cool seeing you there. I hope you had fun. Oh, that's very cool. That's very cool. I haven't been doing shows, so when I just walk around town, I'll mention the show. I just sort of yell <laughs> it. <laughs> I yell probably science, and so far no one's. Follow me on Twitter. Yeah, no one's noticed, but, uh, yeah. Okay, and Andy, where have you been traveling? I went out to North Carolina. Not that complicated, uh, but uh, it was going to be a friend of a friend's um, who had just gotten divorced and just wanted to have, like, just, like, a trip with some friends. Um, But that person ended up bailing, but the remaining people were like, well, we already are, whatever. I want to go to North Carolina. I hadn't been to Asheville before. It was one of those cities on my list. I think there's only like four cities in America I haven't been to that I've heard really good things about. And so, so let's go to Asheville, check out some breweries. And then while we were there, Elvis Costello was playing at, in Charlotte. So it was a win-win. Got to see him in a like orchestra kind of setting with a lot of like, a lot of people who I almost feel like were like maybe members of the, or it's just, it was a very white hair crowd, which I guess he is almost 70, no, but it's that's just, just weird. the age we are now. Yeah, I, go to, okay. I go to a, no, I'm serious. I go to concerts and, and I'm like, 
all right, I'm probably going to be the oldest guy there. This is going to feel weird. Uh, and then I'm like, nope, nope, I, this is horrible. This is all horrible. Like, I feel like if you went to like a Weezer show, it would be like middle-aged, you know? Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah. Like, I still think the 90s were five years ago. Same. Right. Like I can't. Yeah, why are so- why are all these like Weezer fans in their forties? How, how do they? How they? <laughs> how have they got? Uh, how are there so many hip like forty year olds who must have like yeah. heard their band on college radio or something? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, they must have brought their kids or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where they are. Actually, um, a couple of them have brought their kids, but their kids seem to be less interested in if anything. They seem to be bored almost. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I went. It's lucky that went- like like you know the the. The, the the fans' parents seem to be more into the show somehow. Did you... When I was a kid, um, and I don't remember this at all, so it could just be pure gaslighting. I don't know. My parents... You, you know, like, sometimes your parents will tell you stuff you did before you have a functioning memory, and it's like, you're like, okay, did I, though? You know what I mean? Like... Right. <laughs> did I really? Um, but apparently... And I've looked it up since on YouTube, and they played on Oprah... Uh, I don't know where I saw it, but I begged my parents to take me to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles concert. They they played a concert. They toured around. And uh, as after this before? that... I, I didn't realize that they started off as a band before they became a TV show. No, no. They were a TV show. <laughs> and then I assume between filming seasons, you know... Right, right. They, oh, they were they, just like, you know, working some... like. Waiting yeah. for the new scripts to come in, and they're just working some stuff out. Hey, well, you know, you, you play some instruments, so I play some instruments. Why don't we just knock some ideas around and breaks between filming? And absolutely, yeah, you're and, a party uh, dude. Yeah, yeah. We'll, well, obviously, we'll put pizza on the writer. You know, yep. and I don't. So the thing that blows my mind is how I even heard about it. Like what commercial I could have seen or something when I was like four years old, and I begged and begged. Apparently, my dad took me, and he said it was like the like still the worst experience of his life. Like it was one of the worst things that's ever happened to him. He was like, he goes on and on about how you could see their necks under the masks. <laughs> you can see their necks though. They weren't even playing real guitars. And I'm just like, like my, my dad was like critiquing it like music, you know, like he's going to, <laughs> I mean, they were all right, I guess, you know, they, I mean, Donatello was off his game tonight. He was behind the beat every. <laughs> Yeah, you could tell by the end of the tour, they tightened up quite a bit when they played the Greek. Um, Man, yeah, it was, uh, I I just wish I remember it. But then I was like, is is my dad even telling me the truth? Like, what, is this real? Did he dream this? And I YouTubed it. And yeah, they, I mean, it's horrible. It's really horrible. I, I can't believe I made him take me. Was there any section of it? I want to believe that they did like when uh, Mike Tyson did that tour and it just became like a theater in the round, like storytellers sort of like peek behind the shell. Oh, not, none, of, none of that. It was all Some under the under the shell. Like, yeah, no, I don't I don't think yeah. so. Um, I don't think so. But like apparently, yeah, I went and just went bananas like I loved it, I guess. I was having the time of my life. I mean, did they sit? They got to open and close with the Chuck Lorre penned Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme song, right? Wait, Chuck Lorre wrote the theme? That's one of my favorite pieces of trivia about that show. Yeah. Teenage yeah. Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Turtles and Half Shell. Turtle Power. Um, I, yeah, wow. That's that's a great piece of trivia I did not previously know, and I thank yeah. you for that. You're it's welcome. weird. Like, the thing that I can't... Uh, I imagine there's camaraderie. Like, none of us have children, you know, that, that we're aware of. And uh, I imagine there's a lot of camaraderie at shitty concerts with the other dads. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah, like if, yeah. if you're at like a uh, like a 
like Jojo a back Siwa show or something with your daughter and yeah yeah, yeah exactly like if you're taking your 12 year old to see you know backstreet boys or whatever I, there's just got to be like i mean it's every there's a dad everywhere and i'm sure there's just like the line to get beer is insane right. there's flasks being shared all around the the closest I've come to that is the um a pumpkin patch with like it's just me and all the other like boyfriends are like looking <laughs> at each other like oh, Jesus Christ you know we're at a fucking pumpkin patch like <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of like what the equivalent of the turtles show is because I'm sure I I'm sure my parents had to take me to stuff like that like the the best the best I can think of so far is is the Wombles but they're they're bat, their show's actually good. Like there was I a, think we've talked about them. Did, What's the, their did the Wombles make it to the U.S. as a kid, no, like a kids' TV show? I don't know, but there's no way the show is good, and you're just still defending it. You're like, no, I, this is different. It's different. It was good. Here's why it's straight up good, because because uh, Mike Bat, the musician and producer who wrote the theme tune for the Wombles, basically did it and secured the rights to just write his own. Like he basically was like, the deal for this is. I'll give you the theme tune, but also I get to now be the Wombles band and and record music. And then he put together a group, so they're all wearing these like massive, like sort of dumb costumes. But in the costumes are all like some of the top session studio session musicians. What? Oh, that's London. cool. So it's just yeah. I'm looking at I'm looking at this right now. One of gonna, the Wombles. I'll, I'll show you. Was... I'll, we'll link to the footage of what them playing Glastonbury a few years ago as a kind of like. And again, it was just like the audience was all kind of. Uh, oh, uh, it's weird that this ki- kids TV show seems to it seems to have some older people enjoying it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking at who is I just looked up on Wikipedia who is actually in the Wombles band, and it's um again it it's all people like the all right Chris Spedding who is who played with and recorded like Sex Pistols and sharks and trigger and then the wombles oh and the pretenders he tours with the pretenders i mean is that what Clem- the wombles band sounded like Did the, were they just in costumes like going hard like were there mosh pits <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you they rock they they, they rock <laughs> okay the drummer the drummer i didn't realize like the drummer clem Cattini has played on everything like he's he's in his 80s now and he he's he was he's played on tracks by here we go according to wikipedia uh I'm just going to have to cherry pick a few. The Kinks, Dusty Springfield, Bee Gees, Tom Jones, The Hollies, Paul McCartney, The Yardbirds, Joe Cocker. Wow. And The Wombles. (laughs) Yeah, it looks like this this Mike Bat is the real deal. I'm just checking out his... uh... I'm just telling you, you you can't see their necks. there's There's no visible necks. We had a better version of this show. Hmm. I'm seeing that Bill, uh, or Mike Bat put on a promotional concert at Royal Albert Hall in 87, which he filmed at his own expense, which featured him conducting the London Symphony Orchestra with soloists Billy Connolly, Roger Daltrey, Julian Lennon, uh, John Hurt as the narrator. Yeah. He also he also wrote Bright Eyes, the uh, Garth Merkel song. I only know the band Bright Eyes. Is Bright Eyes the song a pretty big hit? I don't, I don't know it. It was like his... It was... It was, oh God, now was we're getting sad. Now we're getting onto yeah. sad stuff because it was oh, no. the theme. It was the it was a theme. The theme song from Watership Down, the saddest thing that kids ever got showed. Right? Does, is that an American? Did that make it to America? Yeah, yeah. I read that and watched that. The animated. Yeah. Okay. Our, yeah. Our Frosty the Snowman was super fucking sad. The Burl Ives. <laughs> um, um, 
No, was it Frosty? No, it wasn't Frosty the Snowman. It was um, it was just called like the Snowman or something. Uh, I don't know. There was like that sort of colored pencil. Uh, I assume in the. Oh wait, in, did that make? Did, I, I thought that never made it to America because Holly was baffled by this, and this is just this is a kids' cartoon, the Snowman that gets shown on Christmas, Christmas in Britain every year, and yeah, it's like yeah. a little choir boy sings the song. The yeah, walking yeah, in the air is the is yeah. the, like the main song from it. It's, and it's the, the story of a snowman that comes to life and then like st- and can fly and takes this kid on a magical dirt journey, yes. but then just like yes. melts at the end, and it's just devastating. Yeah, and that fucking song has been stuck in my head since I was five years old. It's just the biggest bummer ever. Is it just da, someone? Da, 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 da. <laughs> it's just, just someone couldn't get the rights to Frosty because isn't that the plot of Frosty? Yeah, more or less. Yeah, basically, but it was like. It was like Frosty if, like, Darren Aronofsky directed it. <laughs> you know? Like, it's like Frosty gets hooked on smack. Ass to ass, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ass to ass. <laughs> ah. Ah. Guys, has anything happened with... Uh, we're, we're, really, we're really trying to float this without a guest, aren't we? No, it's fine. Everything's good. It's spooky, remember? Yeah, Everything yeah, is yeah, we, spooky. We should ask our, our guest what their background in science is. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Limited. I took a few classes. (laughs) Then fell into a vat of sulfuric acid. H2SO4. Oh, uh, we've already done this story. This one. Oh, I'm okay. Okay, I was trying to find something spooky real quick. No, it is Uh, spooky. Uh, I got something. I got something spooky uh, and pop culture. I got. I'm full of recommendations this week. I'd never heard of the movie Near Dark until uh, Friday when I heard, listened to Dana Gould's podcast and he talked about it. Have you guys seen Near Dark? No, uh, I have not. Yeah, it, it was a huge bomb. 1987, uh, a, a, a cabal of vampires um, came out two weeks or two months after The Lost Boys, so it was just kind of forgotten. But it's Catherine Bigelow's first movie. Uh, 22 years before she won Best Director for Hurt Locker, and it came out the year after Aliens, and she was starting to date James Cameron, I think, and so she just cast three people from Aliens. So they have Bill Paxton, uh, Lance Henriksen, and um, Jennifer Goldstein, I think, the woman who played Sanchez in Aliens, as these uh, three vampires, and um, it's like a vampire western, basically. And Bill Paxton is the paxton yes he's ever been. It's It's great. You can get it uh, you can find it on Amazon Prime. Um, I'm going to have to sign up for something. Anyway, highly recommend it. It's got its flaws. It's like $5 million budget, but like I can't believe I'd never heard of this thing, and it's so much fun. So go watch Near Dark if you like vampire movies and interesting like pop culture Easter eggs. I think James Cameron is even in it, like flipping off uh, Bill Paxton in the background or something. Mm. Like like intentionally, or they just yeah. like, caught him in the camera? <laughs> Not sure which. They, they walk by a marquee that says aliens on it in the town at one point. It's uh, there's like a four, oh, and also there's a guy in the bar scene, uh, who would go on to be the guy in the bar scene in Terminator Two, who gets his uh, his boots, his clothes, and his motorcycle taken by Arnold. Oh, like uh, the um, the manager who's like, you can't, I can't let you take that bike, boy. I think it's they, they describe him as the biker. I haven't seen T two in a minute, but um, but yeah, there's a few bike like that scene is great. First, he walks in and guitars and Cadillacs is on the Dwight Yoakam song. Right before it switches to the bad to the bone, you know <laughs> when he walks out. But it's like, I, I yeah, that scene's burned into my memory. His like shitty red vision, and he's all naked, and the girl's like checking him out. 
Right, right. But I can't keep the two. I can't keep one and two. Those aren't they have similar scenes, right? No, one is where he takes Bill Paxton, comes back to Paxton again. Isn't Paxton yeah. the guy that he takes clothes from the first one? Paxton is the guy with the obviously fake weird Gap mohawk, his... but oh. like you, yeah, he's got like a. It's like a group of punk rock dudes, right? right? right. And but Paxton. I mean, it almost looks like SNL or something where, like, you can see the weight of the fake mohawk is, like, making the skullcap thing sort of ribbed. You know, like, he's right, just, it's, right. it's just like a horrible, hor- like, the colors don't match. Um, just and a I, horrible fake head. And I think he has a drawn-on missing tooth with black ink or just a drawn-on, like, gap in his teeth or something. Something, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, still, yes. five, five-star film. Great movie. Yeah. Um, Something that we've discussed, and I, I think we discussed it a while ago, and I was just looking at this, is um, ghost hunting. How, like, they have tools, you know? They've never done anything, yes. Right. Like, what, and what is this shit, and how can people even sell it legally? And um, interesting article here um, from The Atlantic, The Broken Technology of Ghost Hunting. Hmm. Um, the best tools for tracking down spirits have always been the ones fallible enough to find something. Um, and uh, it's pretty interesting. There's there's a New York based company called uh, K11 Enterprises, and they make a number of handheld electronic devices, including the Dog Dazer. That's a supposedly safe, humane device that deters aggressive dogs with high pitched radio signals. Okay. Um, but they're best known for the Safe Range EMF. Um, it's the size of a TV remote, and it detects electromagnetic fields. Uh, or EMF, measuring them with bright LED array that moves from green to red depending on their strength. Um, <clears throat> it's become, and, and now the, the point of this is to uh, locate potentially harmful EMF from nearby power lines, household appliances, etc. But uh, ghost hunters have gotten onto this, you know? Mm-hmm. They've gotten uh, people that go out, they hunt ghosts, and they've gotten onto this. Um, uh, where uh, ghost hunter Grant Wilson claims that it's been specially calibrated for paranormal investigators. Okay. Um, uh, but the reason that it works so well for these people is because it sucks. Um, <laughs> it operates on only one axis. You have to wave it around to get a proper reading, and it's unshielded, meaning that it can be set off by a cell phone, a two-way radio, or virtually any kind of electronic device that occasionally gives off EMF. Um, that's kind of scary to think that ghosts have all of those things. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Like, ghosts have cell phones now? Yeah. Unreal. Um, uh, one reviewer on Amazon found he could set it off with, among other things, a computer mouse and a camera battery pack. Yet, it's precisely because it's not particularly good at its primary purpose that makes it a popular device for ghost hunters. Um, erratic, prone to false positives, easily manipulated. Uh, it'll light up any darkened room of a haunted hotel or castle, which is to say that its popularity as a ghost hunting tool stems mainly from its fallibility. And, um, yeah. So, that's so many, I, whenever I have looked at any kind of ghost hunting thing, it does seem like nearly all of it is from someone who just doesn't have a basic comp- comprehension of noise, just the idea of noise. Like, right. like you just go like a mag. Oh, this magnetic ta- tape has some crackle in it at some point. And like, yep, that's what <laughs> magnetic cra- tapes do. That's well, what? and when when was it agreed upon? I, I completely agree. And and uh, when was it agreed upon that like ghosts would trigger any of that shit? 
I think it's just the fact that it's invisible. So people just equate everything invisible into one bucket. <laughs> everything invisible right, is magic right. and signs right. of other invisible magic things. Yeah, okay. I think, uh, sorry, uh, and it's just, so huh. the bits of the, different bits of the electromagnetic spectrum. We know like a ghost, you know, a ghost can't necessarily be seen in the visible range, but once you get into microwaves or radio waves or in just a slightly higher or lower that's that's what they are that's the deal they're a different they're a different energy they're the same as us but they're a different en- they're a different frequency okay so yeah this this um and matt what you say about the the noise is um actually right here in the they talk about it a little um the ghost hunter because of not understanding things like basic static um, they look for patterns, momentary convergences, serendipity, or meaningful coincidence. Uh, for the believer, this is where the ghosts live, in static glitches and blurs. Ghost hunting was born out of a love of technological failure. This is very interesting to me here. In 1861, William Mumler, a jeweler's engraver, was studying the new trade of photography when the shadowy figure of a young girl appeared on a plate he was developing. Um, as Krista Cloutier describes in The Perfect Medium, Photography and the Occult, Mumler knew it was an error. It's a consequence of accidentally reusing a plate that hadn't been sufficiently scrubbed of its previous exposure. But then he showed it to a spiritualist friend of his. Because I guess that, that was just a thing. You'd have a spiritualist friend. I mean, that, that was and, the era of spiritualism, I think. Or maybe like closer to the turn of the century. But yeah. yeah, yeah. And not at that time being inclined much to the spiritual belief myself and being of a jovial disposition, always ready for a joke, he later admitted, I concluded to have a little fun, as I thought, at his expense. He told the spiritualist that the image was authentic, that no one else had been around when he'd taken the photo. His friend took the joke all too seriously, and in short order, spiritualist publications had reprinted Mumler's mistake as proof of life after death. Mumler himself, when he realized there was money to be made, changed, uh, his, uh, changed his tune, claiming he discovered a wonderful phenomenon that really needed investigation. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. This is so... And, I, I, that, that last bit's the most disappointing of it. Cause yeah. The, until then, it sounded very much like the same deal as Crop Circles, which was just a couple of drunk guys in the West Country started doing them for a lark, and now... And now, even though they're like, no, we did this, and this is how we did it, and they've like made videos showing themselves just making them with a plank of wood and a rope. Yeah. And, and the, people are still like, it would be impossible for a human to create this shape. <clears throat> yeah. Well, he was charging $10. That's a lot. A lot. Normal sittings cost about a quarter at the time. He'd take your photo um, with the proviso, proviso? What the I fuck? Think proviso. Proviso. Yeah. proviso. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he couldn't guarantee a ghost, um, a ghost materialization. Yeah, it's um, and it has tons of examples here in this Atlantic article. We will link it all stuff about, um, but it's about failures, you know, like in cassette players, anything that ghost hunters glom onto as a uh, ghost stuff. Hmm. By the way, this I, only because I'd never heard of this show and now I want to think about it. There's another example. In 1953, three children were watching Ding Dong School one afternoon on Long Island. As when, you did? <laughs> when the ghostly yeah. face of an unknown woman appeared on the screen. You've wait, heard of, well, you've hey, heard well, of wait, Ding wait, Dong what, School? What's di- you can't just brush over that. What's That's what I'm saying. I've never heard of it. I don't know. All right. Hold on. Well, Andy, you keep reading. I'm going to check out what Ding Dong School is. Uh, the face wouldn't My dissipate. computer has the most viruses, so I'll Google it. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> the face wouldn't dissipate even after the television was turned off and their father was forced to face the television to the wall uh, for, for gross misbehavior and frightening little children. So he, he punished the TV like it was the Blair Witch Project. 
<laughs> the TV had to be pushed against the wall. The television died completely a day later, but not, as, not before its paranormal nature had made it a minor celebrity. Man, people, will, people just love dumb stuff. Yeah. I mean, if, if any era has taught us that, it's our current era of, like, how much proof do you need that this vaccine will keep you from dying? But no, continue to believe some magic and anecdotes over data and... Well, yeah, the, the, th- the thing cause. that I learned is that is that no amount of data, the goalpost moves so much. It's like, oh, no, no amount of data will do that. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Did I tell you guys about um, I don't know if I mentioned on the show. I went on a date once uh, with a flat earther and did not. Know, I mean, I didn't know going into the date. This is a flat earther. And I don't even know how it came up. I said something ridiculous like um, flew to New York recently or something like that. And they're like, did did you see the curve of the earth? You know, or something. And I'm like, yeah, you know. Um, but the more, like, eventually it's like you're just arguing with, you're not really having an argument. Yeah. Because it's just fact denial. You can't, like, it, it literally doesn't matter. You can't prove something more than that. And it, do, it doesn't matter. I yeah. don't know. Out of, out of morbid curiosity, I listened to the Sanjay Gupta episode of Joe Rogan and, uh, Dr. Gupta, congrats. You did the best you could. <laughs> he, he, he really, I'm, I'm amazed at how nice he was and how cogent his arguments were. And then like Rogan just keeps going back to like anecdotes and just like all these just logical fallacies that you can't, without being a dick, you can't keep like uh, d- disabusing them of these, <laughs> these beliefs. But I, I, I bet somebody's been converted by that episode because he was just very, he's like, yes, you're right. Nothing's certain. You could get the vaccine and you could still catch COVID. You could still die, but the odds are greatly reduced. And that's what good medicine does. <laughs> like, Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's very sad. I didn't predict, I didn't predict this level of. Never. No. Any of it. Uh, not, not of anti-vax. I mean, I know there are anti-vaxxers, but there are new anti-vaxxers that are anti just this vax. Yeah. And I don't, I don't understand it. Because um, it's a new it, type of vaccine, Jesse. <laughs> oh. It's the best logic. Also, this makes me realize uh, self-driving cars are never going to happen. I just had that epiphany today because I was like, oh, wait, people will never get over their love of, of scary anecdotes and, and complete like, dismissal of big data. By big data, I don't, I don't mean companies. I mean like large amounts of data. So like self-driving cars could be saving hundreds of thousands of lives a year. But if there's one crazy story of a death, there's going to be the same kind of anti-vax blowback based on that. So it's just never going to happen because the public is so bad at statistics. Right, right. So I just had that realization and got bummed out because I was sort of excited about that, that future. Yeah. I, I got to say, I would have... I, I did... I mean, I, what I really want is high-speed trains between LA and San Francisco because I would do that in a heartbeat. But b- better than fly, I still rather drive than fly. And I would very much like to have fallen asleep at the wheel listening to a podcast uh, rather than having to stay awake all the way like an idiot. Yeah, it's like just some dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I know driving caveman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I do. When when I go on long trips like that, if I'm like you know at at around hour five of driving i'm like i really uh want to go to sleep this is this sucks this is horrible um guys the ding dong school the ding dong school tell us about this jesse well guys it was billed as the nursery school of the air it was a half hour children's tv show which began on wnbq tv 
a few months before its four-year run on NBC. Um, it's earliest. It's the earliest known preschool series to be produced in the U.S., predating Romper Room by a year. Oh. Uh, so it's a, it's a precursor to Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers. Um, it was hosted live by Frances Horwich, a.k.a. Miss Frances, uh, and at one point was the most popular TV series aimed at preschoolers. It began in 1952. Um, yeah, and it's just, you know, teach you to spell and shit. So was it, it wasn't just some adult pointing at kids going, look, look at all these ding-dongs. Oh, <laughs> look, at all these, look at this school full hey, of ding-dongs. Look at this ding-dong show over here. Yeah, I don't uh, No word on how it got its name. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Okay. Um, Horwich was an experienced nursery school teacher, but her only experience in TV had been when participating in televised panel and discussion programs. Since there would be no class of children in the TV studio, the person hosting the show would be alone on the set and on camera. The thought of this was some, somewhat frightening to Horwich, but she auditioned and got the job. She was willing to give the program a try. The program was named by producer Reinhard Werenrath's three-year-old son, Peter. When he, he was told that a ringing school bell would begin each program, he began calling it Ding Dong School. Okay. 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 Yeah. All right. Well... Not Fine. worth it, ultimately. Not worth knowing that. <laughs> um, I know. I mean, I know the brain is not like a computer. Like, I know that that didn't remove other info. But if it, yeah. I mean, you know, if it was a hard drive, I would delete that for like to for have a cool photo or something there instead. We uh, we do have some other pieces of information and corrections that have come through from listeners in the last few days. Ah, terrific! J- just just for in- uh, Hayden, Justin, uh, or oh, Justin Payden, sorry whose email comes through as Payton Justin, and one of those weird reverse email name things. Uh, a few episodes ago, we were talking about secret doors, bookcase doors. And so, mm. Justin says, believe it or not, they're still being installed in homes. I work for an audio video company, and one of our customers has one. It leads into Very their cool. panic room where we install a TV so they can monitor their camera system. He has a keychain and just has to push a button on it to open the bookcase door. So, so they exist. That's the thing. And Very then... Cool. And then also, yeah. I think, information from the same episode, William Abbott's wife is a juggalo. <laughs> so, <laughs> I can't believe they exist. I, so, um, I'm, so, I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing at it. Well, w- a, William is, according to the rest of his email. No, it's just <laughs> a funny sentence. William Abbott's wife is a juggalo. It's like, it's yeah, like a... I didn't know you, you s- had, like, mixed marriages like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like the way you said it was like the way, like, a... A bored husband would talk to his wife while he's reading the paper. <laughs> I see here, William Abbott's wife's a juggalo. What's that, that's honey? Nice. What's that? That's oh, he's, a, he's one of those juggalos. She's, she's a juggalo these days. I, I, so I have a quick question for our last reverse name guy. How, how much does that run? That's a so good right, question. I don't, right I don't know if Justin us. would necessarily know how much that runs because his, his company only installed the TV. They didn't install the bookcase itself. That's got to be a oh, spendy, right. they were the security spendy camera build. Guys. Okay, but um, I want to know from William Abbott yeah. wh- how what's a half juggalo, half non juggalo wedding like? Like, do they right. do people come in and like the ushers are like, I presume you're on the bright side. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, I just like face paint. I'm with the groom. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with the groom. That's very. It's, it's also interesting to note that because being a juggalo is matrilineal, their children will be <laughs> their children will be juggalos. Right. Right. That's true. Whereas if your if your father's a juggalo, then you actually no. still have to convert because you won't be officially accepted. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, oh, yeah, I wonder if there was any pressure from the Juggalo parents to for him to convert before the marriage. Where they ju- to... uh, sorry, go ahead. No, please. Just at, at a Juggalo bar mitzvah, do you just have to recite the lyrics of that song, Miracles? <laughs> fucking, fucking magnets, how do they work? Mazel I don't tov. know, but the, the bris is a nightmare. They use a hatchet. <laughs> there we go, there we go. <laughs> Man, so when William, when you guys got married, you know, and, and she, she did the thing where she turns around away from the other bridesmaids and, and throws the carton of cigarettes. Who caught... Who caught <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? You married... <laughs> Oh, man. Was there Fago at the wedding? Oh, definitely. The reception was all Fago. There's got to be Fago. <laughs> Rock and Rye on tap. So what does he say? What, I mean, aside from just saying my wife... It's a, a one-liner that... email that says, I have to, just have to put this out there. My wife is a juggalo and the jokes are hilarious. I don't really like ICP and don't get their music. Fucking hilarious. <laughs> okay, so here's the deal. Everybody uh, Google juggalo wedding. <laughs> um, oh, the cake toppers are interesting. Um, great, great. I mean, I bet I am going to say like, I reckon a hundred percent juggalo wedding is probably a lot of fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. These, these look, these look very fun. Um, I bet you could easily get violent J and or shaggy too dope to officiate. I don't think they have that much going on. Right. I, I I can tell you that we had them on the Jim Jeffrey show when I was writing on it and you know when someone just gets like a mental block on how to say a thing or just and just can't hear how they're saying it? Yeah. And Jim just like in rehearsal kept pronouncing the name as um Shaggy to Dope. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, no, it's Shaggy to Dope. Like it's like it's the number, but it's like two as in like excessively dope. And he's like, Alright, yeah. no, that's what I'm saying. Shaggy to do- Shaggy to Dope. <laughs> it isn't like a person who underwent ICP reassignment yeah. surgery or something. Who was yeah, well, yeah, like he's from Yorkshire. It's just T apostrophe dope. <laughs> Stratford upon Avon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. But but they they were oh. they were they were very nice. They were very, very nice. Were were shaggy and violent. <laughs> uh, yeah. Are the no? They were the ones that um, think uh, magnets are magic, right? They are. Okay. Yeah, that's the but, but also, we, we had them on for a segment because the FBI had un, had classified them as like a gang, and they they oh wow, and like very unfairly, and were you therefore like able to basically be do bullshitty things to them. So that that was the story. That was the thing that we were doing. We had an, the that was the piece we were doing on them. Hmm. Um, so guys, I've got down a real rabbit hole here, and now I am checking out Juggalo wedding cakes. Uh, please share incredible. a link. Please share a link if you have Incre- one. Well, just Google Juggalo wedding okay. cake. I mean, that's I'm right on the first images thing that pops up. Um, hmm. Yeah. Did we? Wait, when were we talking about Juggalos? Was it because I know we had Colt Cabana on the show a while back, and he has wrestled at the gathering of the Juggalos. That might have been it. I don't remember actually. No, I think we were discussing it. Um, I don't think we actually did talk about it, but a juggalo knows when they're being talked about. So William Abbott just wrote in just to tell us that, um, you know, no, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't remember. These cakes Um, really are amazing. (laughs) Yeah. These are great juggalo wedding cakes. I'd, I'd have, I'd get, I'd have one anyway. Like it'd be very funny to have one at a wedding. (laughs) Um, yeah. Fantastic. Uh, Hey, do you know how you can learn more about cakes? How's that, Matt? What are you talking about, Matt? 
and, and any things you 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 could learn about cake decorating or creative flavors for cakes filling some frostings or show show stopping make ahead desserts i've gone what down I'm, a- what i'm interested in matt because that all sounds great but i will not invest in anything that does not teach me how to become an instant sommelier how to choose the best <laughs> wine i won't it's amazing I won't how often we end up drawn back to that 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 series of videos but that is our, our sponsor wondrium a great sponsor oh. wondrium who have been very good to us over the years and, and i know a bunch of our listeners have signed up with them and have enjoyed well you enjoyed them when they were the great courses plus and then now when they have absorbed multiple other programs and video series and organizations including national geographic and magellan and a bunch of others uh, yeah, look, yeah. Uh, i'm not i'm not gonna sign up for any th- bullshit that doesn't also absorb Kino Lorber. Okay? <laughs> well, you are in luck. Kino what? Lorber is right in there. No. So yeah, all of the videos that are on Kino Lorber as well are available Sounds expensive. for free. Sounds for a free trial, okay. Jesse. For a free no trial using using our code, probably. You can try it out for a month. You can watch any of these videos and you can also listen to them. Andy, what have you been up to? Well, I, I took a, my favorite class in college that wasn't in my major, which I, actually I could just say my favorite class, uh, was a photography class I took my senior year. And I was just uh, I was like, I should bone up on some of that. And there's a great National Geographic series, Fundamentals of Photography 2. There are episodes on uh, low light and uh, night photography. Because <laughs> I have a digital SLR I haven't messed around with that much. Jess, you remember this one. We shot some stuff with it. Uh-huh. Back in, what's so funny? <laughs> No, it's just funny. That you're like, I'm yeah, lately I've been getting really into like uh, low light photography. You know what I mean? I'm living in the uh, desert. I'm trying to take pictures. Of... <laughs> I'm in the desert where it's black as f. Mm, now here's sure. the part where we stop swearing because it's an ad. I don't know why that has to be. <laughs> anyway, these are friggin' cool videos. Yeah. Uh, taught, taught and explained by real bad behind uh, professors. Wait, mm-hmm. bad and, be- and oh, badass. experts okay. in the field oh, yes. who are chosen yes. for their expertise and their skills at communicating. And, and you can also, as I did, you can uh, on, on a long drive, you can listen to them as podcasts as well. And then when you get home, you can pick right up where you left off and watch them on your TV app or on your computer. I mean, you can get stuff, guys, from the CIA. And that, obviously, by that I mean the Culinary Institute of America. Oh. So you can whip yourself up a spicy butternut squash soup based on the Thai soup, Tom Kagai, which is like one of my favorites. But you make it with squash instead. It's like, you, you want to impress somebody? Well, you sign up for this Wondrium shit and get cooking. What, what course is that, Jesse? Because actually, I, I like the set of that dish as well. That's uh, delicious dishes for every season. And then this this one is fall. You just squash go for season. fall. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So once again, that is wondrium.com slash probably for a free month's trial. That is W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash probably. Uh, I got to say, guys, that was a great ad. And it's great that uh, since we don't have a guest, we get to keep all that money instead of giving all of it to the guest like we normally do. Yeah. Wait, there's money involved in ads? <laughs> That's what I've heard. Hey, there's a there's a, a spooky, I, I, I think a spooky story sent in by Michael Valbuena. Oh, yeah. What's more? What's more spooky than? What's more horror? What's more horror film, st- like premise, like in science than surgeons attaching a pig kidney to a human? Yeah, a, it's pretty, pretty scary. Yeah, a kidney grown in a genetically altered pig functions normally. Scientists reported the procedure may open the door to a renewable source of desperately needed organs, and also may slowly over time turn the human into a monstrous pig creature. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's the concern. It does say that it's like attached to where the kidney normally goes inside the body rather than just sort of sewn onto Stapled. their face. Right. Oh, okay. Well, that, yeah, that changes stuff. <laughs> just, so it's just a transplant. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess that is the word for it. But surgeons mm. in New York have successfully attached a kidney grown on a genetically altered pig to a human patient, found it worked normally, um, which uh, this breakthrough may yield a vast supply of new organs for severely ill patients. Researchers have long sought out sought to grow organs in pigs that are suitable for transplantation into humans. Technologies like cloning and genetic engineering have brought that, brought that vision closer to reality in recent years, but testing these experimental organs in humans have presented daunting ethical questions. So surgeons at NYU Langone Health took an astonishing step. With the family's consent, they attached the pig's kidney to a brain-dead patient who was sustained on a ventilator and then followed the body's response when taking measures of the kidney function in the first operation of its kind. The researchers, this is wild, the researchers tracked the result for just 54 hours and many questions remain to be answered about the long-term consequences of such an operation. The procedure will not be available to patients anytime soon as there are significant medical and regulatory hurdles to overcome. Ah, oh, those bureaucrats with their red tape. Yeah. There's a... That's interesting. I'm trying to imagine that if I had, like, a wife uh, that was uh, brain dead uh, or something, um, and they're like, hey... Can we put a pig kidney in her? I'm just trying to... Like, I'm glad the family consented, but it is an awkward... You wouldn't be like, yeah, I guess that's kind of funny. Sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I guess, yeah, just get in, just do whatever. Um, that, that, doesn't, hmm. that doesn't mean that this person was... I guess I'm just guessing at this point. They weren't being kept alive in, in the hopes that... This wasn't like a Terry Schiavo situation. This is probably a person who would have been let go had this not been a thing that was a viable experiment. I'm, right? I mean, brain dead means... Although, then again, I've heard right. brain dead is a pretty nebulous... It's not as, like, black and white of a term as you might think. Yeah, like, sometimes but, it just means, like, a waiter that doesn't do a good job for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Sometimes it just refers to a school full of ding-dongs. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep, absolutely. It's absolutely. just something that a bad teacher says to humiliate a child. It's just, yep. It's something William Abbott would say about his in-laws. Um, what, you think her parents are juggling? I guess, yeah, the cell phone. <laughs> yeah, they have to be. They have, they to, have to be. Her parents, at least her mom. It's obviously. genetic, right? Yeah. Yeah, her, her mom is a juggalo. Um, I don't know. Like, maybe, you know, like, I guess, like, some juggalo, some juggalos pass more than others. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> just give you a wink and, like, pull up their shirt to show the hatchet in their, in their uh, belt on the street. Yeah, Just, yeah, you can tell that uh, there's a s- system of codes and such. So it is hailed as a milestone. Dr. Doris Segev, who's a professor at transplant surgery at Johns Hopkins, not involved in the research, says this is a huge breakthrough. It's a big, big deal. A steady supply of organs from pigs, which could eventually include hearts, lungs, and livers, would offer a lifeline to the more than 100,000 Americans currently on transplant waiting lists, including the 90,240 who need a kidney. That's interesting. A load. So, so not... 90% of required transplants are kidneys. Yes. Hmm. 100,000 on the waiting list, 90,240 of them are kidney pe- patients. 12 people and, on the waiting list die every day. Oh, man. Yeah. And I can tell you that uh, COVID has been a fucking nightmare for um, the kidney transplant situation because you you need dialysis afterwards, like a ton of dialysis. Um and COVID is uh, horrible for all of that. Like if you get if you need like ECMO and stuff like that, it's uh, it's really really dangerous for these people. 
Oh, I thought you um, meant just taxing the medical or the, the hospitals. You mean the, if a person who is in this situation gets it, it's very bad, you're saying? Both. Yeah. I mean, it's it's also like stopping things, you know, stopping the... I, it's weird, right? Like, okay, so so here in Nashville, like they would have to surge people. They'd set, they set up... When it got really bad over the winter, they set up ICUs in uh and like you know i was working down there they set up icus like in parking garages and stuff so it looked like a apocalypse movie you know everything's like weird black plastic covering everything right right people in hazmat suits but all those nurses i mean there's just not enough staff right so a lot of them come from like dialysis clinics and things like that and uh a lot of long covid patients need to work in that it's just yeah it's just been shitty all around for the kidney the kidney world. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, so this article does talk about kidney failure and so even larger number of Americans with kidney failure, more than half a million, depend on grueling dialysis treatments to survive. In large part because of the scarcity of human organs, the vast majority of dialysis patients do not qualify for transplants, which are reserved for those most likely to thrive after the procedure. <sighs> and... This was, by the way, this is not, it was reported in USA Today and not yet been peer-reviewed and not pu- not published. But it was obtained from a pig genetically engineered to grow an organ unlikely to be reject- rejected by the human body. In a close approximation of an actual transplant procedure, the kidney was attached to blood vessels in the patient's upper leg outside the abdomen. So it was basically oh, like, yeah. stuck outside them. That's very Halloween, mm. yeah. The mm. organs started functioning normally, making urine and the waste product creatine almost immediately, according to Dr. Robert Montgomery, who's director oh, wait, is, of the Institute. I think that's creatinine, which I Oh, sorry, crea- yeah, creati- yes, creatinine, you're correct. Um, although the kidney was not implanted in the body, problems with so-called xenotransplants, which are from animals like primates and pigs, usually occur at the interface of the blood supply and the organ, where human blood flows through pig vessels, say experts. The fact that the organ functioned outside the body is a strong indication that it would work in the body, according to Dr. Montgomery. It was better than I think we even expected. It just looks like any transplant I've ever done from a living donor. A lot of kidneys from deceased people don't uh, deceased people don't work right away and take days or weeks to start. This worked immediately. So it wasn't just attached to blood vessels, right? Because you can't, I mean, the urine had to... Yeah, I guess there'd be a pipe, yeah. Or I guess at that pipe. point they probably don't need to have the urine go back into the body through the bladder. They could. Or, I don't know how. I don't know how the plumbing of the kidney works. I don't know what the usual output uh, pipes from it are. I call them pipes. Yeah. If, yeah. If yeah, any, of, I know we've got surgical uh, listeners <laughs> who are medics and surgical people, and probably a bunch of you have kidneys or have made yeah. a, you know, made a kidney or played around with one. Absolutely. Yeah. So have just you seen one or write know. in and tell us about the piping, the the piping of the kidney. Mm. They're kind of bearing the lead here about the uh, genetically engineered to grow an organ unlikely to be rejected by humans part of right. it. Right. That's, that's, that's how to me that, that work. That's yeah. To me, that's the exciting part. Um, I mean, I'm I'm very happy for this person that that they can take a pig piss or whatever. And no, they're dead. In- what? <laughs> this didn't save a life. Well, I know their brain. Well, their brain dead. I, they're not I, dead. I don't th- I think they were just used because the rest of the organs are still functioning. I don't think this brought the person. Back. No, no, I know that. Oh, okay. I know. I mean, they they had to find. I mean, I I hate to sound cold about it, but they had to find somebody that escaped the ethical gray area right. of this. So they had to find somebody like this was their candidate, you know, to do the experiment. Um, and they had to wait until it was Halloween season because it's such yeah, a spooky had, experiment. Yeah, yeah, it's a spooky time. Yeah. Um, hmm. 
Yeah, I, I guess making the however they figured out how to get that pig uh, to make that kidney to me is the exciting. Mm. Totally. The exciting part. Yeah, if someone can tell us how that works. Follow up from. from yeah, if uh, you've ever listeners. at home, any of our listeners, if you've ever genetically <laughs> modified a pig. Yeah. Um, perhaps you've tried to breed a pig and a head of lettuce or something in hopes it'll give birth to a baby chef salad. Yeah. Um, or if you were just running sort. low on your own pig piss and you needed to you know, mm. get a person mm. to help you do it. Supply well, chain, know, guys, am I right? Supply I know we have chain. listeners... I know we have listeners on dialysis. Um, I've talked to a few. So, right, tell what your kidney. What does it do? You know what I mean. What is it? Why do you need it? <laughs> now we're becoming the ICP of the, yeah. of yeah. the podcast. Yeah. Fucking kidneys. How do they kidneys? Work? What do they do? <laughs> what are they? You know, it's a type of bean. I know that. It's a. It's yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So how does the when does the kidney kidney bean turn into like the kidney organ? And what like how big does it have to get before it becomes one? Well, it's a, tad, it's a tadpole first, right? Mm. Kidney tadpole, yeah. And then. <laughs> yeah. Those are the tail yeah. molts. Very interesting. Um, well, what else do we have, guys? What else Let's, indeed? Uh, guys, it's that time of year. Have you guys stocked up for trick-or-treaters? No, not me. I, um, <clears throat> I, don't, I, I don't hand out candy to trick-or-treaters. I don't do it. Um, because you're a Quaker. Or no, you're a Jehovah's Witness. Or no, you're... Who doesn't do that? No, it's no. Uh, oh, yeah, I don't. Well, sex offenders don't do it. I'm not one of those, okay. <laughs> but they're not allowed to. And that's why I would do it is because I don't want neighbors thinking, is this guy a sex offender? You know, because my because I turn off the lights during Halloween, but I just don't do it in my neighborhood. It's a bad neighborhood to trick or treat in. Nobody. I don't want to encourage people to trick or treat here. Um, do you think like you, I don't have a you disincentivize sidewalk. if enough people don't give out the candy, you disincentivize the kids You just use. um yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to incentivize anyone trick or treating in my neighbor. Like I live in, I live in like a horrible part of town. Oh, like, like go somewhere, go, go like a few blocks over. I'm sure it's just incredible candy. <laughs> go, go over there. You know, Yeah, I'm doubting I'm getting anybody here. I don't remember if I was here for the last year, but, uh, out the I, desert. I don't think I was just happening. trying to find, uh, I've just realized we've never had, we've, we've never had Andrew Overdahl on the show. We've had the other two Grawlixes. Oh, interesting. So we, we've, Andrew's great. We've not managed to. Yeah. We, we've messaged, and we've just not managed to work out a time yet. But I oh, was just that. on the subject of horror movies and the scariest ones. I don't know if you saw the, him post about four days ago. My 12-year-old is into scary movies, but complain they aren't scary enough. So we just watched The Descent. And Oh, no. Wow. You don't always know when you fuck up as a parent, but that was a big one. <laughs> yep. That's in my top that's, five. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's... Um, my dad thinks that's the scariest movie he's ever seen. He's he's a super claustrophobic I, I still haven't seen it, so now now I've got that queued up on that on the advice and recommendation of the ruining of a 12-year-old kid's life that Andrew just did. Yeah, it's, it's and, great. And it's also, and this is not a, a spoiler thing... Um, uh, I know that in the making of that film, they didn't tell the actors like sort of what was going to happen. Oh, um, or or you know like when stuff would, when scary stuff would happen, right? So so a lot of the reactions are genuine reactions. Um, it's good. We've learned in recent news it's good to keep people in a movie set on edge. It's good to have uh, lax safety <laughs> oh. protocols. Yeah, you Sorry. don't want any of that going. Sorry, too yeah. soon. Anyway, what, no, I, what's going on with that? I brought Is up. That- Oh, with with the Alec Baldwin thing, I mean, it's just awful. It sounds it's like a shit it, show. It's, it's horrible. Just, it's I mean, it is sort of like uh, 
an inevitable outcome of what we've all seen, I think, working in this industry, which is just everyone cutting corners and trying to save money. It's just a race to the bottom. And this is what happens when you cut corners with safety protocol on a set. Like there were all these people who'd walked out because of how much people right. weren't adhering to protocols. And yeah, anyway, very sad. I didn't mean to go down that road, but uh, I was bringing up yeah, trick-or-treating very, very, very because I've got um, a Science, Science Daily article here about a, a novel sugar detector system in the human mouth that has implications for designing tastier, healthier beverages and foods. So maybe better candy corn? I don't know. That's the best I got for a segue. Uh, so most everyone understands that a major role of our sense of taste is to inform us when sugar is present in food and beverages by eliciting sweetness on our tongues. A study led by the Monell Chemical Senses Center, published this month in PLOS One, identifies a new human sensory ability to detect sugars in the mouth with a molecular calorie detector of sorts. So our mouth can identify when a sweetener has the potential to deliver calories versus a non-caloric sweetener, which cannot, said uh, author Paul Breslin, PhD, a Monell investigator and a professor of nutritional sciences at Rutgers. The paper describes the first inhuman demonstration of a pathway that uses the sugar glucose, a component of table sugar and high fructose corn syrup, to signal the presence of calories, in addition to the well-studied sweet taste receptor in taste buds. Uh, glucose comprises, right, glucose right. comprises about half of the commercial sugar sweeteners used today. Over millennia, humans have derived glucose in their diet from sugar-rich foods such as fruits and honey, and today from added sugars such as sucrose, uh, from, from sugar beets or sugar cane, and high fructose corn syrup. So humans love fruit and sugar, as do many other apes, which obtain most of their calories from sugar. I didn't know that said Breslin, uh, spurred by recent data from Monel or Monel, I don't know, uh, that showed... I, I didn't know that, but I, did, I do know that cats can't taste sweet. Oh. Is that why there's so few diabetic cats? There, it is, yeah. Oh, okay. and, like, and why all cats just go, I'm sweet enough, thank you. <laughs> They're incorrigible. So, so what, what tastes different? I assume, like, does something like, um, like we say they can't taste sweet... How do, we, how, do, how do we know you're saying? Well, how do I explain it? Like, um, sweet only tastes sweet to us as pleasure, so we get the calories, blah, 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 blah. So I wonder, like, if what we think of as tasting sweet, that, that sort of feeling of something sweet in your mouth, is that how cats taste like blood or something like that? Hmm. To incentivize, you know what I'm saying? To incentivize the eating that I, they do? I'm not sure. I get maybe they're just because of their diet. They've there's just never been an evolutionary advantage to them developing the, that ability, right? Because they yeah they don't they don't they get their nutrition mostly from their carnivores from mostly from meat and stuff like that. So there isn't. But dogs can eat sweet things. That's why you need to be careful with dogs and chocolate. But then no, I've abs- also abs- heard that's absolutely. kind of an overblown uh, thing. The, the really po- chocolate as poison. I don't want to. Look it up right now, but I've heard it's like maybe not as it's, straightforward. It's also very bad for cats. No, they're not as naturally inclined to eat it, but don't try to feed your cat some chocolate. Don't yeah. do that either. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, so uh, spurred by recent data from a model that showed taste bud cells in mice could identify when a sweetener has calories to burn for energy, the current team mm. examined whether the ability to sense glucose in the human mouth may also involve this additional pathway. The team asked if this calorie detector is functional and perhaps most importantly, if it affects our responses to sugar in our diet. Uh, Breslin said, now that we know this calorie-detecting taste system is operating in humans, it could explain the overall preference for sugared beverages over non-caloric sweetener beverages. That's interesting. As a person who now mostly um, puts, like, Mio drops in his soda stream water, and those have, I don't know, stevia or some kind of, you know, non-caloric sweetener. Stevia is the least awful of the sweeteners, but I dislike all of them. 
That could be because of this pathway that tells you there's no calories yeah. to be had here, so you can't appreciate this sweetness. Um, so in a series of three elegant human taste experiments, the team compared oral glucose sensitivity to the ability to sense the artificial sweetener sucralose. Is that one you hate too, Matt? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and to a special form of glucose that cannot be metabolized. Overall, there are two sweet sensing pathways in the mouth, one for sweet taste and another for detecting potential energy burning sugars, said co-author Linda J. Flammer, a senior research associate at Model. Breslin, an experimental psychologist interested in human oral perception and its genetic basis, has long been perplexed by diet sodas, never capturing a major share of the beverage market. He now has the start of an answer. Diet drinks are not as satisfying as sugar beverages. As a public health initiative, might we get beverages and foods with lower sugar levels to be more rewarding? Now that we know there is this second glucose sensing system in the mouth, maybe we can tap into it to make healthier beverages that people like Matt enjoy drinking. How did he know you were going to be on this podcast? That's weird. I, oh, that's so weird. The article's coming from within the building. <laughs> uh, so after swallowing, calories and sugar are sensed in the gut and blood, but this study establishes that humans can also register sugars as being different from non-caloric sweeteners in the mouth. It's remarkable that we evolved a mechanism not only to taste oral sugars as sweet, but also to sense that they have a metab metabolic or caloric signal. This means that the mouth is much smarter than we realized, and that it'll be difficult to trick it by simply providing non-caloric sweeteners. Hmm. Why do I like it then? Why do I still tolerate it? And I don't have a See, craving. So, for... right. That's the thing. I, 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 for instance, prefer the taste of like diet Coke. Yeah, same. To a real, to a real Coke. Um. Yeah, that's very. I mean, tricking the body in general is funny to me. Uh, it's funny to trick the body. I, I don't know. Well, I mean, it's I funny. get, but it's, I get, I get the motivation because we've just created this world that isn't adapted to our physiology yeah. anymore, and we have ready of access course. to things we didn't before that can ruin us because these reward things, these reward pathways we had used to keep us alive, and now that things are abundant, they kill us. Oh, 100 percent, 100 percent. I mean, yeah, and we just like. You know, sit around like I I get panic attacks. I've got like an anxiety disorder thing. And it's like that's the evolved for a very good reason. So I could run from a saber tooth tiger. But now I'm just like on my couch, you know, it's bullshit. <laughs> Ready it's to fucking bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it's bullshit. And in fact, I would very much like to see. I wonder if there have been anxiety studies and this is somewhat related to the, the sweet sweetener thing, like um, if there have been studies where to reduce anxiety, you trick your brain into thinking you've solved a prehistoric problem instead of a modern problem. Well, I, like I don't if, OK, like if uh, like a pan like a panic attack is uh, your limbs go sort of numb, like your extremities. And it's, that's also you could like survive a bite from a predator. Um, mm. your, vi your vision gets sharper, you know, like it's, it's the, the adrenaline surge, all that, all of that is a, is a survival thing. And I just wonder if instead of like Xanax, have we done a study, um, where like you just look at a photo of like a freshly killed saber tooth tiger and you're just like, fuck yeah, did it. <laughs> it just you know? the whole Yeah. And then your and then your body's like, yeah, nice. And then, <laughs> Like, I mean, if all we're doing, if, if we're tricking the body anyway, because this is kind of what we're doing with these sugars, mm -hmm. you know, um, we're sort of tricking our body. I don't know. I think my body knows. I think it likes, I think my body likes to be tricked. Mm, you know, 
Yeah, he's got a kinky body. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of into it. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I prefer the diet drinks more than the... Yeah, I don't know, know why that is. I mean, maybe I just still get enough sugar other ways that I don't have the... Then again, I'm looking at a bag of sour uh, Jolly Rancher gummies I have on the table, so I, I mean, I'm not saying I'm over sugar. But I, if there's a novel gummy sour thing, I will buy it just to try it out. Well, okay, so it's like it's like this, right? Here's how I think about it. Um, it's, uh, and sure, we'll close the pod this week super blue. But it's like um, masturbating. You know, you masturbate. People masturbate, right? You've all heard of it. I don't follow. Also, did it, we lose it, Matt or not? I, I just realized okay. I, I was I, I muted a while ago because a helicopter was flying past the window. And I've just realized I'm still muted and you hadn't heard anything I said for the last... But, like, I, I really went in hard on masturbating. <laughs> and then Jesse said the word, which made it was really weird. <laughs> you wait, you, oh, you yeah. muted so that you didn't Jeffrey Tubin yourself, you're saying? Yeah, yeah, so, he could, so he could masturbate. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like masturbating. It's like you're, you're tricking your butt. You're, I mean, you ejaculate. I'm listening. Like right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, tell me how. Now tell me what to do. No, uh, it's like you, you ejaculate. Your body, your body is doing the thing to, to uh, have a baby. It's like doing the thing. But it's just like, you know that there's not a person there. It's just your gross hand, you know? But your body is still like, fuck yeah, pregnancy time. And <laughs> I think it's the same with the sugar stuff. I guess here's what I mean. It's like masturbating is still great. It's great, you know? It's just so like sort a of short-circuiting coke. this this reward pathway. It's like cheating, sort of. Yeah, but it's like it's the same. It's 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 masturbatory sugar. It's not real sugar, but it's like your 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 tongue is still getting its nut on. It's dope. <laughs> but I guess the difference is like we created these these substances that are now abundant that we can short circuit our sugar and we reward. The flashlight, buddy. But we, you know didn't, we didn't create our hands, is what I'm saying. So like that has been a thing. I'm sure that's. I mean, apes do it. So I wonder. If there might even be, if maybe that might not be a case of of evolutionary I short think the opposable No, I think the opposable thumb. That's the first thing we did. I think we didn't even make tools for like ten thousand years. Yeah, definitely. After the opposable thumb, we were just masturbating. I, I'm not joking when I say I bet that does predate that. And I'm I, I, obviously yeah. it obviously wasn't evolutionarily maladaptive, or we would have went away. So maybe there's even some argument for. I forgot if this is real science or not, but like. I think if you like flush out your system, you have better sperm. Like if you don't ejaculate mm. for like a month, that's not the sperm that you should be using to uh, procreate. I believe. Uh, I believe. I could be wrong. That makes um, sense. It's like it's like the first pancake in the pan is never good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, though. Yeah. Why is that? Yeah. About I pancakes. Why is that? <laughs> Because when I jizz on the pan, right. <laughs> when I make the... <laughs> it's because that first pancake's been building up for a month, and then, like, well, you just need to get that out. No, that's a good call. Do you think, you like... Get, uh, you need to freshen the batter, and there's no... Do you think that's a job at, like, IHOP, is, like, a guy has to show up early and make, like, three pancakes? <laughs> <laughs> so that... One in each pan, one each burner. Yeah, yeah. So, that, so we can get uh, nice and groomed for the first customers? <laughs> hmm. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just equate this to tricking. Yeah, it's just, it's, 
it's just still great. It's fake sugar. It's like I know it's fake sugar, but my body, the 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 prehistoric part of my body is still so stupid that it's like yeah, great. Okay. But this study shows maybe there's a part of your prehistoric body that is not stupid that also recognizes this isn't calorie-laden sweetness. So it shouldn't enjoy this or be as satiated as if it were cal- caloric sugar. No, I totally agree. I mean, I I do know that it is not real. Like I I know that this is not so perhaps in that sense it's not as fulfilling. Um it's just a taste preference when I'm having a soda, but that probably doesn't translate. Like if I ate like an, uh, like I love like a Clementine, right? Love it. So that's caloric sugar. Yeah. But if I ate a diet Clementine, I'd probably be completely grossed out. Yeah. That would I've be- just, I've just grown used to diet Dr. Pepper or whatever, you know? Now, if we could figure out a way to trigger the caloric thing, that would be game changing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I got That would probably like, be the magic bullet to our general obesity epidemic, I bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, just to make your... Or silver bullet. I... Magic bullet's the blender. You know what I mean. Uh, a solution. Mm-hmm. Is magic bullet a term people use for a thing besides the blender? No. Silver. Um... What is that euphemism? Yeah, yeah. magic <laughs> bullet is used as a kind of, like, as a medical thing. By the way, I, as I got distracted because I found an article from the guy who run from Michael Evers, who is the Glastonbury Festival, saying he regrets booking the Wombles. So anyone <laughs> who was about to write in and say, like, Michael Evers regrets it, no, it's been said. <laughs> is that because they just, like, went nuts in the green room? Like, the Wombles had, like, trashed <laughs> yeah, all their... Really... I mean, like, the whole show is themed around them tidying up and, and, like, leaving things in better states, but behind the scenes. You know what it's like. You know how, like, sometimes, like, the really nice celebrities are the ones who were the worst behind, like, backstage? Yeah. You know, like, like, you know, like, like all the stuff that came out about Ellen. It's the same as the Wombles. You know, they're just that they're, they're a disaster. I heard, I heard yeah. one of them penetrated Tinky Winky with a mud shark. It caught out, out of the <laughs> hotel room balcony. <laughs> yeah, the classic, classic story. Um. Uh, by the way, Tinky Winky is a stand. Is that the guy inside Tinky Winky was originally Tinky Winky one was a stand-up comedian with Dave Thompson, and he got fired for inappropriate behavior. Oh, never really established what that behavior is <laughs> or there's different wow. stories Be- behavior on becoming a Teletubby but it is exactly for like you know pissing people off backstage and and being a lunatic so Tinky Winky Tinky Winky is a comic <laughs> that's great as is as is Poe by the way as is who Poe one of the other Teletubbies Poe oh okay He's a- I mean, I would, I would take the gig. I think at this point in my career, I'd be like, this is probably like, this is my way out. I'll be a Teletubby, you know? I can see that happening. Yeah. Uh, here we go. It I'd was described like- on, his, on Dave's Wikipedia page. It says, BBC said in a letter to Thompson that his interpretation of the role was not acceptable. <laughs> All right. Yeah. It's so, still nebulous, but... Yeah, I, yeah it's... It, I don't know, but... John Simmet is the other comic who plays a Teletubby. I wouldn't have guessed. I would have guessed these people would come more from a clowning background or mime or something. But. Sure, sure. This all checks out. Um, guys, speaking of clowning, we've been clowning around for quite a That's while true. now. Yeah, huh? we should wrap up this episode. So uh, This spooky episode. <laughs> so, Ghost, where can, we, where can our listeners find you? Uh, On the dark web! <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Thanks, Ghost. That's yeah. crazy. Uh, I'm uh, on Twitter at Jesse Case. Uh, we're uh, at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen. Yep. Um, and at Probably Science. That's, that's the main address. You can also find us, probablyscience.com. Probablyscience.gmail.com is the email address, is the email address even for any questions, comments, clarifications, stories about f- close family members and spouses who are members of subcultures that you'd like to share. All of those can be shared with us, probablyscience.gmail.com. Listeners, thank you for joining. Listeners who came to see me in Alameda, thank you for doing that. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.